You're listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil and Pete, where we look back at our favourite football sides from the Premier League era. From champagne football to shambolic debacles, each week we'll take a nostalgic view of some of the most memorable squads from the annals of our footballing fandom. It'll be light-hearted, fairly shaky on the facts, but who cares? Relive your youth and go with Four at the Back. <laughs> Welcome to episode four of Four at the Back. This week we are examining one of the great sporting stories. Uh, it transcends football, any sporting story you can think of. This is this is up there. Um, we are, of course, talking about the 2015-16 season where Leicester City took advantage of turmoil all over the league and registered their maiden Premier League victory. There is there's symmetry and poetry galore in this season. Um, last week, we spoke about Jose Mourinho and his first season as Chelsea manager. This would turn out to be Mourinho's last season as Chelsea manager, um, as uh, his predecessor at Chelsea, Claudio Ranieri, in the strangest of circumstances, uh, in coming to Leicester, let alone winning it, um, he would uh, eventually triumph. Uh, but there's loads to talk about this week. There's so much. I don't even really know where to start. So, um, Neil, you're usually good at this sort of stuff. Where should we begin? I mean, I was thinking that the the season before where Nigel Pearson basically saved them when they were dead and buried. And, you know, they, I think you said when we were sort of uh, prepping for this, was it 22 points from 25 or something like that? 22 from 27. They won seven of their last nine games. And, you know, that that sort of um, ends the season. He really galvanised them and it looked like they were kind of on the up and up. And it was a, a curious season with Pearson because he was obviously quite an abrasive character um, as we also saw at Watford more recently. And, um, uh, you know, he had that whole press conference where he went on about ostriches and it was all very strange. But, but you know, he seemed to have that dressing room and he was then unceremoniously sacked on a pre-season tour of uh, Thailand. Of course, um, Leicester, uh, you know, owned by, um, well, by a now sadly deceased uh, Thai businessman. And... Um, it, it was a very odd thing. And then when, when they appointed Ranieri, I think the general reaction in the sporting world was, you know, kind of disbelief because Ranieri post-Chelsea bounced around Serie A. He hadn't really ever replicated any of his Chelsea success even. And even that was only qualified success. Uh, you know so where he'd come from? Greece. Yeah, that's he'd just right. Been, he'd just been the, the national manager of Greece. And he'd been sacked after they'd lost to the Faroe Islands. <laughs> it's so, yeah, some some record that, isn't it? So so I think you know the general the general thought was it was the you know an over the hill Ranieri coming to a team that had only just beaten the drop through a crazy run of form, and they ditched the manager that had inspired that run of form. So it didn't look too good for them. Um, 
But it turned out a couple of the signings that they'd made uh, were about to really, really come good in a, in a in a pretty epic way. Yeah, I remember being absolutely, you know, it it, it it was it was crazy. It was crazy. Pearson had done so well and had laid that foundation, you know. And I think you've got to you've got to give him credit, you know. If it wasn't for what Pearson did at the end of that season before, you know, they would have had no chance, no chance of going on to do what they did that season. And obviously, you know, it, I, I don't know. I've never looked at it closely, but there was obviously a rather unsavory incident going on in, in Thailand, which became a bit of a scandal involving involved his son, son, I believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, has anyone actually seen the video? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't I'll like, take, yeah, it I'll wasn't yeah. I, I didn't see it up there with the uh, the season review, unfortunately. Oh yeah, it, 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 you, you you're not. It's not the YouTube that you need to look at for for that video for sure. But oh, yeah, it's that. it it is something, and it, it it's really not a good look. But I'm guessing there was probably a bit of, you know, I don't think they would have sacked him because of that. But you know, he. As as Neil was saying, he's quite an outspoken person, so I'm guessing there was probably a bit of back and forth in there and making stands and stuff. But yeah, it was whichever way you look at it, he'd done a fantastic job that year before, and then suddenly, you know, it, it's a change, and everyone was like, "Oh, they're doomed now." I think it speaks volumes that obviously you get this new manager come in, but it's several months into the season before people stop saying that this is Nigel Pearson's team, as I recall. It, it's only when it's gone beyond that and the expectation that they'll falter is disproven and, and they stay uh, stay in the race that people start thinking about it as Ranieri's team. But around the Leicester area where I was living at the time, uh, there was a huge amount of talk about the team Pearson built uh, and I think that's you know then getting off to that fantastic start just was very much the holdover of one season to another. And I mean, how much do we think the the change in manager actually had to do with the recruitment that went on to be crucial to this season? Do we think that was something that Ranieri had much of a hand in, or was that all the kind of the the business side of the club as as things are now done these days? It's- it was the director of football, wasn't it? I, I believe it was. I believe it was actually Dave Watson, wasn't it? I think the um, old Everton player. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and yeah, he, yeah, they, they obviously had the, you know, that concept. Steve Walsh. Of, Steve Walsh. Oh, sorry, uh, wrong uh, centre half. <laughs> yeah, similar, wasn't he? Wrong, massive centre half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> similar players, to be fair. But but uh, yeah, it was it was Steve Walsh that brought uh, that brought. You know, Kante and Mares and and Vardy to the club, and and, it was, and, that, and actually Okazaki, I think, was a really important player for them, and yeah. he's probably the unsung hero because he caused absolute havoc just kind of running around, but also made them really defensively solid because it was nominally a four four two, but Okazaki would do so much defensive work, it kind of became a four five one, and and basically it was a very Italian. Uh, model of of football in that they didn't let many in and they would nick a goal usually through you know either a moment of brilliance from Mares or or Vardy running onto something or or hassling a defender and getting something um 
So they had a, a pretty defined formula. I think where you give Ranieri credit is that that Italian quality of organising a team, you know, they were very, very solid and you couldn't score many goals against them. Yeah, I think when you're talking about a level of success that they had there, it's always going to be more than just one thing. You know, to achieve what Leicester did, not one one little bit of luck going their way is not going to be it. You know, they had to have a lot of things come together. You can have just one one of those things go your way. So I think you, you've got to say some fantastic recruitment for sure. Uh, you know, you've got to say thank you, Nigel Pearson, for putting uh putting some belief into the team if if nothing else you know that they they came in with a strong base believing themselves on a high after the end of last year and then obviously Ranieri then put in his stamp on things I mean I think that's lots of things going to that way is why although I said last week I was going to ruin every one of these by bringing up a Darren Ferguson or a Lenny Pidgeley you can't really do that for this last aside because the the reason those things are interesting is because there's something kind of weird uh, and in, uh, about um, Darren Ferguson winning a Premier League medal before Bobby, uh, Brian, Brian Robson does. I almost said Bobby Robson then. Uh, before Brian Robson does, because Robson's obviously this great player and he came that close to missing out. And there's something really human about that in a way that we sometimes forget about the really great teams. We can immortalise them and think about that it was inevitable that they were always going to win. There was nothing inevitable about half of these Leicester players ever winning anything in their careers never mind winning the premier league in the most remarkable story that the league has ever had so it's it's kind of redundant to dredge up those kind of weird little things because so many of it so much of it is weird to begin with i mean i think pete you, you'll appreciate i mean my disbelief that danny simpson has a premier league winner's medal is probably matched by your disbelief that mark albrighton has one but actually they all contributed they all did a job i mean there, there were three, you know, the three major players like Vardy, 24 goals in the Premier League. Uh, Mares scored sort of 15 or 16 and assisted bucket loads. Kante is just everywhere. But then you've got, you know, Schmeichel, Okazaki, uh, Wes Morgan's pretty much ever present. Danny Drinkwater um, somehow gets himself a massive transfer to Chelsea and then literally pisses it all up the wall. Um, all Brighton is 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 there quite a bit as well. So, that, you know, all of these players, um, they, they contribute in, in their various ways. They're all sort of supporting actors. Um, it's interesting was... that, um, you, you know, a lot of this team was already there. I mean, this is, this is very much sort of Ranieri's do, doing the Benitez thing where he just comes in and, and you know, gets the team playing in a certain way that it's already there. What is it that Ranieri was doing that enabled Vardy, who went, who scored five goals the previous season, to scoring twenty-four. Mares scored four goals the previous season, and then scored, you know, eighteen this year. Was assisting. But what was the big difference? I think they were they were struggling against against the drop the whole the the previous season. And I think the thing with Vardy, right, is I remember seeing him play in that that first season when they were up and thinking thinking that that you know he he really had something about him there was a game i think against man united where he absolutely mugged them off um you know just wouldn't wouldn't give their defense a moment peace and um ends up i think he won a penalty like late on in the game and and, and sort of last to one 
And I remember thinking, you know, he had that bit of that Ian Wright um, come from non-league, going to prove himself sort of attitude about him. So I don't know if I was necessarily surprised when he suddenly started scoring a lot because clearly he had that, that pace to run in behind. He was incredibly hardworking. He'd get a mistake out of a defender. And once he went on, once he started that scoring streak, I mean, he scored in 11 consecutive games and broke Van Nistelrooy's record. Um, and once he started going on that streak, and I always remember this because I brought him in for fantasy football when he scored the first of those 11 before any of any of uh, my uh, friends in the league had done. And uh, I reaped the benefit of that because it took me a while to catch on. Um, but yeah, it, he, I think it was just, again, fate. You know, you had, you had Vardy and Maris just catch fire at just the right time. And if Ranieri did anything, he... He gave Mares complete freedom to basically wander around and sprinkle stardust on things. Um, and he allowed Vardy and Okazaki to do all the hard work and, and they would just reap the benefits of that, really. There's one game, uh, you talk about Mares there, that I think is crucial and it's so early in the season and I, I, I'm going to be the one to bring him up. I just kind of... Villa obviously were terrible that season. But there's a game really early on in mid-September where Villa raced to a 2-0 lead away at Leicester. And Ranieri changes the system a little bit. And Mares suddenly starts playing out of his skin and drags them back into it. And Leicester go on to win 3-2. Obviously, this is a 3-2 against one of the worst organised teams that we've ever seen in the Premier League. So it's not a huge thing in and of itself. But if that game hadn't gone 3-2, I I genuinely don't think Leicester win the title, even as early as it is. It's one of those remarkable moments where had they not come from behind and established that invincibility early, uh, if, if Vardy hadn't scored that day, let's say, and all these things come together... You, you have to wonder, well, where would that spirit that carried them through later of... of come together I also don't think Villa are as bad as they are for the rest of the year they probably still go down because they were terrible I don't think they finished with 17 points or whatever it was in the end if they'd have if they hadn't thrown away a 2-0 lead but um so there we go it's uh it's one of half a dozen little points across the course of the season where the league is uh, so the game is just absolutely crucial and they managed to pull it out from somewhere let's have a look at some of the state of the nation i suppose because uh the reigning champions are chelsea and i guess everyone kind of expects uh the title to be battled out by chelsea and and man city and you expect sort of arsenal and liverpool and to be, to be there or thereabouts and man united of you know in louis van Gaal, they've got an experienced manager surely things have got to come together so and then you know i think I think Spurs are sort of quietly putting together a sort of a youngish, um, primary, well, there's a lot of, of young British players in, in the Spurs side. Well, it's Pochettino's sort of, it's his first, it's his first yeah. proper season with the team. I don't think so. anyone's expecting loads out of, out of Spurs at this point. I think, um, you know, well, we'd finish, I mean, I think it was kind of like, you know, we as being a sort of fifth or fourth for quite a long time. And obviously we'd had yeah. the, the disaster of, of, of the end of Tim Sherwood's um, run um, after which Pochettino took over. And, and then obviously I think there was a lot of optimism around the club about, you know, what we might do with Pochettino. And um, 
but but yeah, no, certainly I, I don't think I don't think we thought at the beginning of the season that we would be kind of, you know, going neck and neck for the title until, you know, the, the early part of May. No, I mean, that certainly wasn't something that I thought was was on the cards. I mean, Chelsea don't really recruit. They they pursue John Stones for most of the summer and fail to land him. Um, they uh, they recall uh, Courtois, don't they? And Czech goes uh, Czech goes to Arsenal. Arsenal uh, Arsenal don't sign anyone apart from Czech. Um, Manchester United pay. They they brought in Schweinsteiger, Memphis to pay uh, to pay. Sorry. Damian and um, someone else whose name escapes me. Oh, sorry, uh, Morgan Schneiderlin for probably in excess of £100 million combined. And they all turn out to be crap uh, for United. Um, the Schweinsteiger transfer reminds me of uh, one of those where you, we, you see them every so often where someone completes a transfer and you say, that would have been a really good move five years earlier. Like yeah, he was he was at the end of his career and and no essentially couldn't he finally just couldn't run anymore at that point in time you know he uh, he you know he kind of um even the 2014 world cup win you know he was sort of at, at the kind of very end of his of his kind of steam really um because he had a lot of that, injuries in his career so that michael carrick was better at his job um and, and i think the other thing is damian was a classic example of somebody that had a good World Cup performance against England, <laughs> and then yeah. and then everyone wanted to sign him because he was he was good in, in one game against one of the worst England sides that ever went to a World Cup. Um, so, so yeah, it's Chel- a very strange Chelsea, recruiting policy. Chelsea are horrendous at the start of the season. Um, it's mad. I mean, what actually happened to Chelsea? I mean, that's the thing. Wow, well, you're, you're champions. How so, do you go from champions to that bad straight off the bat? Everyone picked up. Everyone picked them to win the league in the prediction contest that year. By the way, as well, it's it's. <laughs> if you... So th- there's the first melt. There's the meltdown on d- on day one of the day season, one, isn't it? And it's just goes uh, from there. The club doctor is blamed for um, basically Hazard goes down injured, doesn't he? And the the, the doctor says he has to come off, um, and Mourinho takes exception and basically says the club doctor oh, is right. trying to help the club and not. Um, putting the needs of the of, of the player first, which um, uh, basically like the, the doctor ends up leaving and then suing Chelsea and Mourinho for constructive dismissal. Not only um, that, there was a lot of you know sort of unpleasant sexist overtones about it, it, yeah, lots it was, of what it was, was said. It was very unsavoury, um, and it kind of it never really goes away and. I mean, there's some miracle that Mourinho hangs on until I think it's the back end of November, or mm. even early December when he goes. Um, it, it's it's the most the dressing room. Yeah, it's the most spectacular Mourinho um, meltdown there's there's been. You know, like the end of Real Madrid was was bad, and the end of United was worse. But this one is 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 kind of pieced to to resistance really because he, you know, he basically. Um, managed to piss off Diego Costa, which is probably the last person you want to piss off. Uh, <laughs> and, and Aiden Hazard, who he kind of all along Marino was suspicious of, uh, think he didn't, you know, saying he didn't work hard enough and he didn't have character and he only decorated games. He didn't like take games by the scruff of the neck, which to be fair is I think a pretty relevant criticism of Hazard's career. 
Um, but uh, he, yeah, I think it was, you lose those key players in the dressing room. And I think afterwards he, he often referred to them in, in interviews as, as, you know, rats in the dressing room. Um, so yeah, it, it all went very, very pear shaped for him. And, um, you know, his, his allies in the dressing room really weren't playing, um, by then either, you know, because, you know, Terry was, was right at the end of his career and, and, and wasn't really the influence that he had been. You know, that's why all the, all the full kit jokes kind of, you know, came from really, weren't there? Um, Lampard ended up at City. He's at City, yeah. It's that weird thing because he was going to go to New York FC and it was like a staging post along the way. I think he originally signed for New York FC and they loaned him to City. It was all a bit, all a bit sneaky. Like, so he ends up, he scores against Chelsea that season actually and he does the whole, not he does celebrate. the whole not celebrating thing, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a sense of uh, poetry where um, Mourinho's last game as Chelsea manager is um, a defeat to Leicester, uh, who would obviously go on to become champions, managed by uh, the man he succeeded um, at Chelsea the first time around, Claudio Ranieri. So it, there's a, there's a neat little bit of uh, of symmetry there, but um, it was, I suppose that. That whole kind of um, story arc in the first half of the season meant that you know, Leicester were kind of slightly under the radar a little bit. I don't think anybody expected them to sort of maintain their um, their momentum going into the new year. And and indeed, in January, they're dislodged from the top. And uh, it's Arsenal who, uh, who, who ascend to the top of the league. And I think this is... I suppose clubs are just falling over themselves to not take the initiative in this season. So, uh, Maz, as our, as our resident gooner, what are your recollections from this time? It it was the chance, you know. It, it, it was the league season that everybody's team should have won it. You know, and you're... I think you're always going to say that, and, and we could have done it. Were we good enough to win it? You know, not under normal circumstances, but everyone was throwing it away that year, you know. And we we had a good team, but we had a lot of players that don't turn up every week. You know, I, I think we had Walcott have some good games that year, Ozil, Sanchez, you know. We got a lot of good players. You know, Cazorla was still doing the business in there. But it, we we threw it away. We threw it away against... We, we'd have shocking results. And bizarrely, contrary to a lot of typical Arsenal games, you know, we'd, uh, we'd win some of the bigger ones, but then just go and throw it away. Even from early on, we get in a position where we're good to go. And then we go to West Brom with a chance to go top and we lose, you know, it's, it's just crazy. It's very, uh, it's very late end Wenger where there's just no bottle to the team. And, you know, when the going gets tough, we kind of run away and, and, and shy away from it. And, you know, even Chelsea did the double over us that year, which was strange, but I don't think, I don't think they beat anyone twice that year except us. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a power vacuum situation, isn't it? You know, because United were the, the foremost power in the land for, you know, the best part of 25 years. And um, suddenly 
you know, as soon as Ferguson leaves, they they become crap until essentially like you know last back end of last season, and 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 that enor- that's an enormous um, enormous chip falling, you know, and City tended to basically be one season on one season off because you know as good as they would be when they won a title you know they would tend to take the next season off and and that happened to to both Mancini and Pellegrini um and then Chelsea obviously self-destructing um as Man says like Arsenal there's a couple of times in those late Wenger years when they really could have had um a title if there'd just been a bit more belief there I think it was, um, I think it was thirteen, fourteen. They were top until pretty late into the season, March-ish, uh, and then they just completely fell away. Um, and so, yeah, they, they just you just had this this situation where there was a power vacuum, and then anyone that might have been reasonably expected to fill it um, fell away, and you, and you kind of ended up with Leicester on this crazy run where they just the bubble just never burst, and you know, and then. Pochettino's young Spurs team just playing some of the best football I've ever seen and and you know winning a lot of hearts along the way as well so it, it was a, a strange old situation um but certainly uh, made for an incredibly entertaining season I think the key in that all is is that you know I, I think a lot of people most people spent the whole season expecting Leicester to get caught but no one was ever quite sure by who. And that was the problem. You know, no one ever actually got to that point where it was like, right, we're going to, we're going to actually challenge them. You know, even when it got to the end and Spurs were the last, you know, the last one standing to do that, you know, they, they kind of fell into that rather than, you know, grabbed it by, by, by the throat. You know, it, it just happened to be them that were, that had, thrown it away less than everyone else at that point. And I think had we found ourselves in that situation a year on or two years on, I think I think they'd have nailed it. But it was, you know, this it was kind of Deli Alley's breakout season. It was, you know, Harry Kane, you know, I think he's top scorer in the league that season. Um but it's a pretty young team. You know, you've got the two Belgians who are, you know, in their prime um you know you have um i mean even ericsson is 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 quite a young player at this point in time so it is you know walker and rose on you know by you know both full back um but yeah it's it's a pretty young team and 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 it's it's quite interesting that when they did throw it away in that crazy game against chelsea the battle of stanford bridge with you know nine nine of our 11 players got a yellow card in that game <laughs> And uh, and after that, uh, we then go and I think draw the next one and then lose five one to relegated Newcastle on the last day of the season. I think Which, you lose the last two, don't you? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, last two and then the last one's the five one v Newcastle and that yeah. that was just I think aside from the lasagna, that was the most Spursy thing that ever happened ever. Uh, I remember just sitting there laughing. It's like <laughs> out on earth have you done that i was watching it you know i was watching it live just just sort of shrugging my shoulders like oh my you know i wasn't even that upset it was just odd yeah, <laughs> I was like, you know they've gone down the, day, <laughs> on the hour 
Oh. We played the last half an hour with ten men. It was it was a but it was a performance of a team whose hearts were broken really yeah. and I, and I and I don't I don't think I really realised because I you know as a sort of long standing uh, and often disappointed Spurs fan like I, I wasn't expecting a league title but of course I wasn't in that dressing room and it became very apparent that the players did believe that they were going to win it and they were going to overhaul Leicester. And that Chelsea game did just completely, um, completely break their hearts. And, you know, and it's funny looking back. I mean, you don't want to sort of assign too much stuff retrospectively, but certainly it was a moment in time where had Pochettino then been given like a big war chest to improve the squad in key areas that, you know, you might not have been looking at what actually happened, which is essentially the same squad of players went through the next four years, did incredibly well, but then you end up with what happened last season with Pochettino, with him sort of having a burnt outside that hasn't been refreshed and and then running out of ideas. So, you know, it is it is one of those things where, you know, I, it looks like a missed opportunity in hindsight. Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing, you know, what, what, what Spurs couldn't do is what Chelsea and you know, City would do, which is, right, I'm going to grab this player from this team who's who's just won them the league, you know. It's the Bayern Munich take, effect, isn't it? Take 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 the money. Well done. I'll have him and I'll have him. You know, and then asked all, I'll have him. And he was like, no, but yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they only, they only offered £40 million and one pound. Forty million on one pound. So I, I'm surprised we didn't we didn't go in again for Suarez, seeing he was available. They just bid one pound this time. They could yeah. have done a lot. They could have done a lot worse as well. Christ. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know one of the one of the, the the more bizarre things about that season was that feud between Jamie Carragher and Danny Simpson. <laughs> uh, which I, I think you know, I mean, Joe, you mentioned earlier on, it's pretty bizarre that, that, that Danny Simpson's got a Premier League medal, but it becomes even funnier when you consider that Jamie Carragher and Stephen Gerrard do not have Premier League winners' medals. Um, and it, it was just that sort of hilarious thing where I don't even remember where the few started. I think Carragher criticised on Monday Night Football, and Simpson bit back, and then they did an interview at the beginning of the next season and Simpson did this interview with Carragher with the medal round his neck. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and fair play to the guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's you know, the what, height of petty, right? <laughs> wasn't Just even... fuck all sense. Was, but... was, was, was not like uh, one fifth of the player that Jamie Carragher was, but fair play, that was a, uh, a very funny riposte. <laughs> Wasn't he doing community service for a lot of this season as well, Danny Simpson? Is that right? <laughs> Probably. That, I mean, that is, it's, that's some class. It's like this sort of team in some ways. But yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, it's basically. I mean, Vardy does basically look like somebody that's worn an electronic tag for sort of ten of the past twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> huh. My favourite kind of anecdote. Well, it's not even an anecdote, really, but career history of anyone in this side it probably belongs to Kasper Schmeichel um in goal who was never present in the title season so it is quite relevant but uh he obviously starts out at Man City because that's where Peter his dad ended his career I think unless he went to somewhere after leaving England um but he, he moves on after Joe Hart takes the uh takes the number one shirt 
there and he gets embroiled in the, the I mean, you may remember this, the Munto Finance era at Notts County. He's one of their <laughs> signings, uh, along with Sol Campbell. Who, yeah, the Sol Campbell I, thing, yeah. I, I, because I, I used to live around there, I was actually there when they presented Sol Campbell as the new signing at Notts County, just a morbid curiosity. And <laughs> he played the, he played the next game away and they drew against, I don't know, Macclesfield or somebody like that. And, and soon realized there was no money. Uh, and he was off. And so Casper ended up moving to Leeds at the end of the season because there was no money. <laughs> and um, they, uh, he basically agreed to like, let the contract just die. Um, Leeds decided he wasn't good enough. Uh, and that's when Leicester pick him up. And he's basically a regular ever since. He's for, been for brilliant, that, for, hasn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. such yeah. a solid keeper, you know. He's... You know, his dad was one of a kind, but he does have a lot of the traits, doesn't he? You know, he's commanding, he's big, he's... A leader. Yeah, you know, I, I guess he advertises bacon maybe as well. If you were... You seem like 15 years apart, they're pretty much doing the same sort of... Like you, there's Casper Schmeichel sort of celebrating every goal in his box, like, like, like Peter Schmeichel used to do when United were... Um, we're winning those ties at the start, and there's there's a very sort of again there's sort of a nice sort of symmetry um, between our our first uh, our first episode and, and this episode. Um, but you know he's, he's a very solid customer, and I think even now, I mean you know, five years down, I mean he's he's definitely not a flash in the pan. And there's a, there's a few players who you thought well that could be a flash in the pan. Vardy's been you know one of the most consistent goal scorers in the Premier League for the last five years. I think you've got to add Wes Morgan to that list as well, by the way. Yeah. Of pl- players that could have gone badly wrong. You know, he could have been a busted flush on leaving Nottingham Forest. And look at him now. I mean, how many games has he played? He's been the club captain for however long. And he's only the third player to play every minute of every game in a title season or something ludicrous in Premier League history. So fair play to Wes Morgan, I say. Any thoughts on Danny Drinkwater, Pete? I don't think I ever saw him in a Villa shirt. I, 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 training tops, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I've got no real opinion. What happened there? Is it? Did he just? Is it bright lights, big city, that kind of thing? Or he just worked in that system, though, didn't he? He was very much what he, Danny Drinkwater does. One, because he came through the United Academy, if I remember rightly, and he, yeah, and he yeah. did. He, he did. He did one thing really, really well, which he plays a fantastic through ball a fantastic long pass and that was his trick all season was that he had a telepathic understanding with Jamie Vardy he knew exactly when Vardy was going to make that run and and he had the quality to make that pass and you know he a lot of the assists to drink water or the assist before the assist is is is, uh is, is drink water and you know he 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 goes to Chelsea um and it's really apparent that when Conte takes over, he just doesn't fancy him. And, you know, he basically does a sort of pound shop Gareth Bale and just says, well, you can pay me my money and I'll go and sit on the bench. I don't really care. Um, but but certainly in that in that title winning season, you know, you had Conte snapping at everyone's heels and then Drinkwater distributed it and it and it worked beautifully. You know, and all Brighton um on the left wing was was quite a defensive um winger and and would 
go up and down and then Mares on the other side cutting in was 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 the magician and you you just had this sort of it was such a traditionally British system but with a sort of Italian organization about it and the whole thing I mean as we've said about lots of stuff it was a perfect storm you know you had a few great individuals but within a collective um and they had a tactical setup which was quite unusual for the Premier League at that time. You know, they were playing four four two. You know, it was two banks of four. They, you know, they kind of played on the break. They were aggressive in midfield, and maybe the Premier League had kind of forgotten how to compete against that in a certain way. Just I to cycle what, back a second to um, just just before we move on from Danny Drinkwater entirely and forget he ever existed. Um, he wasn't really fancy, not only by Conte, but the other manager who hadn't fancied him was Pearson. So, I mean, he played Schlupp a lot more, if I remember right. And obviously Cambiasso, but he, he'd gone. But I mean, if Ranieri had played Schlupp over Drinkwater, does this whole title just not happen, do we think? Probably not, no. I mean, I, th- I think Drinkwater is, obviously, you know, the way his career's gone afterwards, he's become a bit of a figure of fun. But he is really key to that campaign, I think. I think what you've got to look at it is like this, you know, when you're looking at a midfield, you, you want all the attributes. And, you know, I think, I don't think any midfielder in the world wouldn't want to play with Kante. You know, he just does all that dirty work, mops everything up, covering everybody, you know, and he does that so well. And then, you know, as as an attacking force, when you've got Mares in there, who's obviously running the wings, but cutting inside a lot, you know, if you've got a passer, that's exactly what you want with those two in your team. And, you know, it, 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 he was the perfect guy for the job, really. You know, he was the perfect guy in there with, with the likes of those. And with, I mean, Albright and running down the other side, he was, he was the right one. He, he had, pacey players that he could ping them to you know he had someone watching his back and he had people that can dribble you know he was the right player at the right time yeah and I think that's a key part of of all title winning sides really is that it it is the blend um and we talked last time about that Chelsea team and how you know um how Frank Lampard was probably the you know the, the the best sort of goal scoring number eight you know possibly in the world at that time but he was screened by Makaleli. Um and and that sort of that that balance was really really important. And you know United had in Keane and Ince, you know the '94 United. We talked about those those two box to box players that just were were always up and down. And you know, those those great those great teams they do have that balance. And and unless they just they just hit on the right formula. And and because they. They just kept winning. The confidence snowballed and the mentality was there. And, and um, you know, everyone was sort of saying, can they do it? Can they do it? And it was almost as if they never even asked themselves that question. They they believed they were going to. A couple of other notable things that happened this season, which we'll kind of, um, we'll, we'll spend a couple of minutes on before we, we start to uh, wrap things up and look towards the back end of the season. Um, early February, Manchester City announced that Pellegrini will be leaving the club at the end of the season and they're going to appoint Pep Guardiola. That's one of the weirdest things a, a top four club's ever done, surely. I thought it was disgraceful. Yeah. 
I really did yeah. think it was disgraceful at the time. I, I remember being very strongly against them announcing that. Like, if you've done the deal to, to bring Guardiola in, I mean, and who wouldn't want Guardiola really? So you understand that bit of it. But but Pellegrini has won them a title. It's a bit like Ranieri and Mourinho, like we talked about last week. You know, Pellegrini has won City a title, um, and I thought it was hugely disrespectful. And you know, I, I thought there was no chance of City winning the league. Um, because they were well in with a shout still in February, but there was no way they were going to win it after that. I, th- I thought they they massively shot themselves in the foot, and a lot of City fans I know uh, disagreed with me and said, "Oh no, you know the club have acted in the right way to uh, to let him know in advance." I just thought it was, yeah, I just thought it was dreadful. It reminded me of when the West Ham board were openly negotiated with Martin O'Neill and Avram Grant still had a job and the only kind of pertinent difference was this is the man who's delivered you a title maybe you do even more respect than kind of the basic level of respect and I thought the O'Neill Grant situation was pretty disgraceful to be honest with you uh, I, I don't really uh, understand I mean, why they thought that they was were, a good idea surely they were caught out by the tabloids you don't you, you know you don't do that do you? you don't do that without a reason you know, unless someone's got hold of it. I think it was, uh, if I remember rightly, I think they, because Guardiola went on this much publicised sabbatical. Um, so he, 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 he likes his sabbaticals, doesn't he? So he took a sabbatical after Barca and he took another one after Bayern. And, and, and he's sort of, so they, they just kind of do this thing where they announce it because it's, I think it's like a publicity thing because don't, don't forget that Man City is essentially one giant sports washing organization for a corrupt and uh, evil regime. So, so I think the, the the publicity side of it, they just couldn't help falling over themselves to announce it. Yeah, it all leaves a bit of a bad taste in the mouth, doesn't it? The uh, the other sort of notable managerial change this season is. Uh, Brendan Rodgers uh, leaves Liverpool and they bring in Jurgen Klopp, um, who and oh, paid what, off, didn't it? Well, <laughs> slightly. I mean, you, which you always knew it squad, would. Um, look at the squad he inherited to, to, compared to where it is now. The the back end. I mean, I feel really sorry for Brendan Rodgers, and he clearly. I mean, funny enough, Rodgers, Rodgers is now at Leicester and, and doing an incredibly good job. Um, and you you might say that Liverpool job came a little bit early for him. Because obviously they had that heartbreaking near miss, um, you yeah, know, when when Pellegrini's City won the title and, and and Liverpool with Suarez on in his absolute pomp, you know, really should have should have won the league that year. Um, just, uh, I mean, coming back from that must be really difficult. And then they made a rash of incredibly poor signings. I mean, I always thought that you know. I was with Spurs with the bail money, like bought a load of absolute jabronis and Christian Eriksen. And like <laughs> Eriksen and Vertonghen worked out and everybody else was terrible. Um, Liverpool um, used the Suarez money to buy an absolute load of donkeys. And uh, I felt sorry for Rodgers. I thought he was put in a really difficult situation. But I remember the nail in the coffin was they went to Real Madrid in the Champions League and he basically, he basically put out a youth team and they got battered and he put out a he put out a sort of weak team in the Champions League um, thinking 
that he would then play strong team in the league. And only a manager who is, you know, completely brain fried would have done something like that. On the transfer front, uh, just uh, looking up uh, the uh, some of the Rogers era transfers, I'd completely forgotten this man even existed, and they spent twenty million on Lazar Markovic. <laughs> he, he, he went to Hull after Liverpool as well, didn't he? Like what a uh, on loan from Liverpool. Yeah, yeah what well, a. I think this this is the season they they bring in Christian Benteke for silly money from Villa, and they also pick yeah. up Firmino from Hoffenheim. And that's sort of very, very much under the radar, but he he scores he's, he scores quite a few this season, I think, Firmino. Well, Firmino, I think with Firmino is that um, Liverpool didn't really know what they were buying when they no. bought him, and it, and it and it took Klopp to work out that you know he's not a he's not a number nine. He is somebody who links the play, somebody that dictates the play. Like he he'll drop into funny positions where defenders don't want to follow him, and. I think Rogers was trying to play him as a conventional number nine, like he had done with Suarez, and mm. and, and that really wasn't his wasn't his game. Um, but I think Rogers was just mentally exhausted by everything that had gone on. I feel very I feel very sorry for him. I do think that job had it come up for him where he is in his career now, and I do think based on what he's doing at Leicester, I think a big job will come for him again. Whether it's maybe Man United or 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 maybe. Um, Chelsea, maybe Chelsea, maybe even because he was obviously he was a reserve coach at Chelsea yeah. with Mourinho, wasn't he? Um, but I, I do, I do think a good a good job will come his way again. So, um, I, I think this, this this is sort of the the epitome of sort of an underdog story. I think in terms of the sort of the great sporting stories and you could you know you could, you could think about football you can think about any sport you like you can think about tiger woods coming back and winning the us the us masters last season you can think about um you know england winning the ashes in 2005 you can there's all sorts of things you can put up there this is one of those stories and i think you know for, for a lot of us as um as fans of clubs who are competing in the same league you know spurs were obviously com- we're competing with them. Uh, Villa and Newcastle, that you know, Pete and I follow, had our, had our own problems and our own sort of uh, uh, things. To watch. And obviously, you know, the, the frustrations of being an Arsenal fan in the middle of, uh, of this last decade would have probably overridden our sort of uh, your immediate sense of, uh, you know, this this is a really good feel. Sorry, now we're kind of we're revisiting it. How? Do you, where do you think this stands in terms of sort of the footballing stories that have come out of the Premier League area era? It is by, by far the biggest shot. It's the biggest underdog title win, you know, certainly in the Premier League era, and you know, one of the, one of the biggest ever. Yeah, because you, you know, there's been, um, you know, if you look back to the seventies, um, obviously Clough at Derby. And then Clough at Forest, like both of those clubs had no business winning titles, like based on, you know, based on their kind of standing and history within the league. But but but, you know, Clough was the difference, you know, and they and and Derby won a title and, and Forest won two titles. But I don't think there's been a surprise as big as uh, as Leicester, you know, because you know, even if those two Midlands clubs weren't necessarily like inverted commas big clubs, 
the fact Clough was there kind of made them big clubs. Um, with Leicester, it was something, I think, completely unparalleled, at least as far as I'm aware. Yeah, and going going up against, you know, the Arab money, going up against the Russian money, uh, that that's the big difference for me. You know, it, it's not just going up against the club with 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 a history with a with a strong base of players to begin with it's going up against all that funding I th- it's worth pointing out actually we we talk about those three players Vardy, Myers and Kante and they arrive at Leicester for a combined fee of 7 million and Kante costs five and a half of that so yeah. it just gives you an idea of like the, where these players have come from, we've talked about. You know, Schmeichel came from a from a, a championship side. Uh, Wes Morgan comes from um, Forest, doesn't he? So it's it's constr- it's not constructed of Premier League rejects. It's, no, and, it seems to be constructed of of Championship rejects. I mean, uh, Robert Hoots was a a career reserve player, really, wasn't he? I mean, he was he he sat on the Chelsea bench for. For years and years, he um, played in that uh, Stephen Stoke side, didn't he? He's very yeah. good for Pulis's Stoke as well. Yeah, but again, like he's he's a journeyman centre half, and all yeah. of a sudden it's front and centre of a of a of a Premier League winning side. It's it's. I, I think the other the other one we haven't talked much about Okazaki, but he plays. I think he plays thirty four games and. Um, he's he's a massively and and still I think underrated part of this side. Yeah, he I mean, started we talked the about season the with a with a real spark, with a real spark at the start of the season, and then started to go under the radar when he was a little bit less eye catching. But as you said, we did talk about at the start where it, it's that under underappreciated work. He scored yeah. a lot of important goals that like, whenever Vardy's not quite at the races, Okazaki's there. Yeah, the most important thing he did was just make he made so much space for Vardy with the the the, the way that he worked, the the hard work he did, and the defensive work he did was really important for the way that Ranieri set up. Um, very interesting, very interesting player. I saw a very good interview with him recently. I think he's in Spain now, um, and I think it was in the Guardian a few months ago, and he was talking about that title-winning season and. You know, and how he he still sort of holds Leicester very much in his heart, and you know, kind of wishes that you know managers that came after Ranieri had appreciated him a little bit more, so that he could stay. They were so good together as well that you didn't really see that much of Leonardo Ujoa, who had been their top scorer the year before, and was quite an expensive player by Leicester's standards. Yeah, it's sort of still. Um, uh, I think yeah, if you talk to any Brighton fans, they'll tell you that you know Ijoa is like right up there and their favourite players ever. Like he's he's a, a, an absolute legend down here. He just doesn't fit mm. into that system though, does he? I mean that that their their gate. I mean he was a poacher primarily. It's, I, mean, it's, it's, I think you 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 think about like how important certain things are. Not many of their important players get injured. Like Vardy doesn't get injured. Mares doesn't get injured. Kante doesn't get injured. Um, they don't. They only lose five games to suspension all season. Yeah, they had a very settled side, and and, and that was important. Yeah. And you know, and I and I think again, when you look at teams that have won the title, yeah, sometimes like I think like if you look at Pep's hundred points team, that is a squad, you know, and he uses mm. a, a lot of players. Um, but there's a lot of 
players who do similar jobs, like they, they seem to be fulfilling the same role for each other. Yeah, um, but but I think they no, didn't have that strength in depth. I think when I, I, what I was about to say is that you know although uh, City might be an exception to that, you know if you look at that United '94 side, it was basically the same team every week. Um, mm. Certainly, Mourinho's Chelsea, like the third midfielder next to Lampard and Makaleli, rotated a fair bit, and you know uh, Duff, Robin, and Cole all a bit injury prone. So so you know those three, you know, kind of rotated around. And we talked about Johnson and Drogba being quite interchangeable. But ultimately, that was quite a settled team that, that Mourinho had there. Um, How much effect do you think the, the absence of European competition has on this season? Because obviously, I mean, I mean, Spurs are fighting on, you know, uh, three or four fronts. Obviously, City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester United, all playing in Europe. Um, Leicester... Uh, they go out of the FA Cup in the third round. They go out of the League Cup in the second round. They've only got the league to concentrate on. And I guess they certainly couldn't have a small squad. That probably really helps. They certainly couldn't have competed on more than uh, certainly not the amount of football that Europe dictates. With I think they had fourteen or fifteen kind of regular slash semi regular players this year. You couldn't do that with European football. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a huge the following factor. season. They struggled no, massively. Uh, of they, course. They, they couldn't juggle but, it. And they, they did quite well in the Champions League. Um, am I right? Did they go to the quarterfinals in the end? Yeah, I think so. And then Ranier got sacked, I think, straight after the quarterfinal, if I remember rightly. I'm not even sure they made it that far, did they? I think Shakespeare took them to the, the quarterfinal. Maybe, or, or they qualified for the quarterfinal when he went after that. Yeah. I think um, But yeah, it was it was... I think it was one of those things where as much as everything went right for them in the season they won the league, everything went wrong for them the season afterwards and, and they had a bad start and they and they couldn't pull themselves out of it. And, you know, something very, very similar happened to Blackburn um, the season after they won the league. Um, it, it can be very, very difficult to to recapture, you know, that kind of magic once you've done it once you kind of you've reached that mountain top, it can be very very difficult, and you see it in American sports a lot actually. That you know sometimes, you know, a team that 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 wins a title will be uh, pretty rubbish the next year, especially because the nature of sort of free agency and stuff like that means that quite often key players will, you know, will be gone after they've won the title with you. So yeah, and it's it's an two interesting key one. Players who go, Mares goes to City. Kante goes to Chelsea and doesn't Morris stay a year? Yeah, Morris stays a year. Uh, sorry, yeah, sorry. Kante, Kante goes, doesn't he? Does Drinkwater to go this season as well? No, no, no. Kante's the only one who goes in the first season. And then it's and then Drinkwater and Mares go the, the following but season. But Kante, Kante is some player to replace. To be fair, yeah. yeah. I think they yeah. they bring in um, Ndidi, who you know he looks like a decent player, but he's he's not the same thing. I mean, he's turned into a tremendous player. I mean, okay. if you look at Ndidi now, he is going to go somewhere, I think, probably for a lot of money pretty soon. Yeah, but yeah. Stray's got a touch of the, the Vieiras or the, or the um, Tories about him, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he'll, he'll be somebody that goes for big money. But, but obviously, at the time, he, they brought him in as a young guy and he's, um, you know, obviously wasn't ready for that role straight away. You don't win the lottery twice in a row, do you? 
you, no. you're not going to get that lucky on a player like that that quickly. And I think the thing we can say is you have to, you look at his career and you know he he wasn't um, even in the, the the picture for France when he signed for Leicester and obviously he goes on and wins um, another title at Chelsea and then he wins the World Cup um, so and he's you know won the Europa League as well so it's a pretty a pretty um, gold laden few years for uh, Ngolo Kante. Any final thoughts on this? ridiculous season i mean just to obviously we, we we talked a little bit about the final day of the season where spurs capitulated at the hands of newcastle um not that i'm still trading on on that because i mean it's been about the only bright spark in the last you, five years sorry you can have that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> we did the double over you that season just uh, and every season and, and dodgy penalties yeah. and everything. um and uh yeah we followed up at the weekend didn't we so um but um, the one game that didn't go ahead on that last day was the Man United game against Bournemouth, where the Old Trafford was evacuated because of... Um... Oh, God, I remember that. <laughs> it was just the craziest things were happening this season, and none more crazy than Leicester winning the title. But, I mean, it, it, will, it will go down as... It was a season of transition for many clubs and I suppose Leicester were opportunistic and uh, um, Was it the season of the weird press conference when Van Van Harwen insists on singing his own song? You know where he, he basically keeps shouting Louis Van Harwen's army at some I, re- I remember that. <laughs> I think it's that season <laughs> I mean Van Harwen mental press conferences could be any season right? I mean, <laughs> yeah yeah quite <laughs> I mean, there was great. You know, you know Newcastle um, took on Steve McLaren to. I, I still don't know why they did it. it was, um, obviously, Benitez comes in at the end of the season. So again, the, there's a lot of attention on on Newcastle at the end of the season, um, and they have that. There's a big tussle at the bottom uh, between Newcastle, Norwich, and Sunderland. Who um, big Sam gets Sunderland out at the, at the very last minute there's so many little subplots to this season um we, we can't possibly cover them all um I, and i don't think Ga- anything Gary like that pants we've forgotten as well Sorry? oh gosh yes. gary lenneker in his pants on match yeah. the day uh, he said if leicester won the title he would do match the day in his underwear and he uh he followed through with the promise <laughs> he also said he followed through it pants. <laughs> <laughs> He also said that if he was he was so down on Leicester City at, at that point that if he if he'd been offered ten million to one he'd have said it'd be a waste of a quid. Yeah, it's uh, funny. It, it was it was nice to see Lineker and Alan Smith, you know, ha- sort of have that that moment, you know, as as sort of ex Leicester players working in the football media, seeing you know the team they both grew up supporting. Um, win the Premier League it was there was something very heartwarming about it actually it was balanced out massively by Robbie Savage on 606 so uh... oh, well yeah <laughs> avoid the radio at all costs. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it was certainly a, a, a season to remember um, and as I say I, I don't think I don't think we'll see a similar story for, for 
many, many years. Um, Can I ask you a question just before we wrap this one up? Does it, it, we always talk about it in these terms. I just wonder if it has actually worked out that way. Did it actually give everyone, anyone hope that their team could win the league? Or is that just the way that people talk about football? I think it's one of those things where, I, I suppose in a sense, if, if you've got a couple of players who could, I mean, you know, speaking as a Newcastle fan who watched in 95, 96, I mean, there, there are some similarities in the sense they had one striker who scored a lot of goals. There was one sort of very sort of uh, creative outlet. And then you had somebody who, who ran around in midfield and worked harder than everybody else. There, there was that sort of uh, thing to it. And yeah, I mean, you, you could see teams like, you know, there have been teams who have threatened to do it in the past. I mean, like you think had, had a few results gone their way, Wolves might have been further up. That season, Crystal Palace were fifth at Christmas and then they completely nosedived and ended up about 16th at the end of the season. I think it's just the fact that they managed to do it for the entire season. It does make you sort of wonder, well, could someone do that again? Well, they've proved that it can be done. I think that's the point. You know, I didn't think it was possible the whole season. You know, I didn't think it could happen. But, you know, if they can do it, another team could do it. Whether they will, who knows? Weirdly, it goes on even further. It goes further back than that, doesn't it? Because, again, they they picked up 22 out of 27 at the back end of the the previous season. it's, it's It's a pretty consistent run for a team that up until that point were completely doomed for relegation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from that respect, if anyone, if Leicester can do it, anyone can do it. If the stars align, if you get everything right, probably a bit of luck in there as well, it's doable. You know, you know, we've we've seen all. FC Porto, you know, win the Champions League in the last you know, in the last 15 years. And, um, you know, I, th- I think in cup competitions, it always feels a bit more likely because there's a knockout element to it. The fact that it was in the league, I think, was what was what made it so remarkable because you have to be so consistent over 38 games to, to be able to do that. Whereas, you know, even the, even the Champions League is a slog and the Europa League even more of a slog, but you're not playing 38 games to get to that point. So I think that was what really stood out about it. It does just make you think think that you could just be one signing away from from getting it right I mean I, I, I think I would always I, I would always think that had had Spurs not decided to build a stadium when they decided to build a stadium and I think probably Maz sympathised with this with the, uh, the whole Emirates after 2006 thing I, I think Pochettino could have delivered a league title had you know had those foundations been built on um, when they should have been built on. I think I'll always believe that. Uh, yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, the excuse will always be, well, you say that, but Leicester won the title. And <laughs> but that's what Leicester have done, you know, for every every even medium big team that, that fails to deliver, you know, when they've got an opportunity is, you know, Leicester took it with both, took the opportunity with both hands. And, you know, really... There's no excuse for a big team after that. And, and you know, like, yeah, I, yeah. I would never, I would never say, right, that I would never be somebody that said that, that Pochettino's run was um, was a failure because it was, you know, easily, easily the best stretch of time to be a Spurs fan ever. 
um, apart unless you were alive during the double winning season, which you know not many people were anymore. Um, Chess and but, uh, yeah, but but it was it was um, so you know not something I'd ever say wasn't a massive success because it was a massive massive success to finish above Arsenal four years in a row is nothing to sniff at. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it but it was and probably only four years ever as well. But it, it was. I think with that squad, had there just been that bit more depth, I think they could really, really have gone toe-to-toe with City um, in a way that, in the end, they didn't quite do. You know, third place is great, but they, you know, it wasn't quite the same as this third place when they actually looked like they could win it. Yeah, that, and that, that's what it will boil down to for me, is that, you know, Arsenal, Spurs, you know, City should have won the league this year. You know, they all had the chance and they, they all absolutely blew it. And that's not to take anything away from Leicester at all. But, you know, it, it, it's it, it's a team that shouldn't have had any chance, really, at, at the end of the day. And, you know, all those teams, for all their faults, for everything going on in the club at the time, and, you know, we, we've discussed all the ins and outs, even with all that, they still had far more power far more in their arsenal no pun intended there uh to get the job done and they didn't they they threw it away it's... and i think leicester with the pressure off with no one expecting them going out and having fun and just really solid and really confident just took it home and you know won it with a couple of games to spare mm. won it pretty easily you... in the end you mentioned a few teams there is that also a knock that you've got a in the final reckoning, count against Man United and Louis van Gaal as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even Chelsea, you know, Chelsea were the champions. Uh, Even with a change of manager, you're still Chelsea. You've still got so many players, so many better players, player for player, than, than the champions that year, you know, and that's what it boils down to in the end. I will say this. United team were terrible, weren't they? (laughs) They were. Well, we, we talked about their recruitment, and I think that, I mean part of the reason that they end up sort of I think they finish they finish fifth and they're level on points, but they lose out on goal difference to um, to City um, to, to in the race for the Champions League. It's the only the emergence of Marcus Rashford that gets them there. Like they were they were hopeless for a lot of that season. They're just boring to watch. They were disorganised. They were <laughs> You couldn't imagine that that was, you know, only a couple of seasons earlier, Alex Ferguson was their manager. Yeah. It's it's a knock that stands across much of the Van Gaal era, as I recall. That They did have one good finish, but even that was a very tepid team. And it was an era characterised by poor transfer decisions. Yeah, I think, I think you know, that, I mean, it, actually, I mean, we should probably do a, you know, a post Ferguson United one of these at some point, because it is a really interesting story how, you know, how badly they've kind of messed it up um, since, since the great man retires, because I mean, I was lucky enough, you know, me and Maz were, were, were lucky enough to grow up at a time when United were crap uh, <laughs> until we were sort of 11 or 12. And then suddenly they were, unbeatable for the next 25 years <laughs> so like it's kind of it, it's quite fun 
to have got back to a point where United were were, were rubbish well, again. Though I'd argue that that Maz is currently growing up at a time when Man United are crap. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Deep hand for life. <laughs> um, I mean, I, th- I think that. I mean, there's plenty more stories for us to tell. Um, I think now would be a good time to sort of wrap up and move away from that that sort of season and uh, and and Leicester and that, that, that wonderful, wonderful uh, effort they made. Um, next week, um, episode five, we will be focusing again on Spurs oh. and their <laughs> uh, their 2009-2010 campaign. Um, which I believe was the uh, Harry Redknapp being soaked by an ice bath season. Yes, by by David Bentley of all people. <laughs> Imagine if he'd won a Premier League medal. The next Dennis Burkamp, I think he did. I think, think yeah, he might not have got a medal, but he's he's. I, I very much remember David Bentley speaking um, after us winning a title. Introducing himself as well. So. Good grief, he might actually have one. He might part, have played a few games to the Invincibles, right? Part, part of the squad, yeah. He was... Oh, Pete's going to have to he, do some research for this one. He, he, he was... <laughs> he was one of those. We're going to have some fun with David Bentley next week, then. <laughs> oh my goodness me. <laughs> um, well, um, well, until then, we've been four at the back. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Mazza, Neil and Pete. If you enjoyed Four at the Back this week, give us a follow on Twitter at Four at the Back Pod. That's the number four at the back pod or on Instagram at the same handle. Join us next week and see if we do better. Thanks for tuning in.